All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, if you will, turn to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis. We're going to be reading uh, from a couple passages, beginning first in chapter 2. We're going to read verses 5 through 17. If you would, please stand in honor of God's holy and inspired word as we hear from God's word. It's found in Genesis 2, beginning in uh, verse 5 through verse 17. Hear now the word of our Lord. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havavila, where there was gold, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bedlinium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Kion. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to, to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And then if you will turn over to chapter 3, we're going to read verses 17 through 19. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. If you will, uh, join me for just a moment in a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you would take this word and that you would apply it to our hearts, that you would increase our faith, and that you would grow us to be the men and women of God you desire us to be. Father, speak to us as you speak through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's been a little while since uh, I saw you last. A lot has actually happened since then. I've... uh, Uh, In the midst of gospel coaching training, that's uh, where I will be able to help out with other pastors and chaplains and whatnot in their ministry. Uh, I believe it was the day that I preached here last. That night I got a phone call and said, David, uh, Birmingham Theological Seminary has started a new uh, doctoral ministry tract. 
Dr. Reeder was supposed to be heading it up. We want to continue this tract even though he has passed away. And we're looking for a few men to be a part of this first class. If you'll agree to be part of this class, uh, we have a scholarship for you. And uh, you won't have to pay anything to be part of this class. So since I've seen you, I've gone through this gospel coaching training. I've begun a doctor of ministry. Uh, and then work has just exploded. Uh, uh, I've added another site. So now I'm traveling every other week from here to Cartersville, Georgia, to our plant in Cartersville and back. Uh, working with the members of, of AGI, our, our, our company, uh, and our plant workers. Uh, and it has been a blessing. I want to speak to you, talk to you today about this passage because one of the passions that the Lord has put upon my heart is that of uh, work and faith and, and what does that look like. And one of the things I'm learning in my new position is, is just how poorly we in the church have trained our people to live out their faith in the workplace uh, or the place where they're placed. I, I, I concede, I understand there are many here who, who are retired and are not in a workplace but when I talk of place throughout this sermon, I'm talking about where God has put you now in your phase of life. Whether you're retired or whether you're working or you're in school, wherever you are, God has placed you there. And there's a purpose and a reason behind that, and that's what I want us to investigate today. Now we, and when I say we, I'm speaking of, of the church universal, but speaking also to myself, uh, we teach a lot about work and faith within the church, but usually it's, you know, when you go to work, you got to live out your faith. And, and we talk the theology of it, and we, we speak about fulfilling the Great Commission. And so we, we teach folks to when you go to work, you should live your faith, have your Bible on your desk, speak the gospel whenever you can. But we've never really trained very well on how to do so. We prayed today, and as we prayed, we prayed for some folks in vocation. We prayed for the pastors. We prayed for the missionaries. We prayed for those volunteers and, and, and whatnot. And one of the problems I've seen uh, in the church is that we've created this false dichotomy uh, between the sacred and the secular. We have some vocations that are great and holy, and that's where you should be or should aspire to be. In fact, we've almost, even within the Protestant church, have created a, a third sacrament and that of the holy vocation. And then we have the rest of us who are in the secular world and, and live with all the pagans and the heathens and whatnot. And we just have to learn how to survive so that we can get back here every Sunday so that the Real people who have the real jobs can tell us how we're supposed to live when we're living with the others. Think about it for just a moment. Just within the PCA, we have uh, over 5,200 teaching elders. Of them, there are about 1,600 missionaries. Now, of those missionaries, some are wives, and that's 1,600. So let's just take half, 800 missionaries. We'll figure there. We have over 300 chaplains within uh, the PCA. Uh, but within the corporate chaplains, there are six of us. Six of us who are laboring in the field of, of work, working with blue-collar blue or white-collar employees, wherever. Um, very few specialists, if you will, working amongst the, the working world. So most of us, most of you all in your workplace or at home in your, in your retirement or wherever you are, you're left to yourselves every other day of the, of the week except for Sunday. And I want us to think about this for a minute. 
We all get, we, we gather and recharge each week. We come together to work through the struggles. We, we, we go out in the name of the, the Lord and in the power of the Holy Spirit seeking to live our lives and, and work for the glory of Christ. We seek to raise our families and we seek to earn our income to care for our families. Again, to glorify Christ. But for many of us, work is just the means to an end. It's the way we get the cash in which we buy the groceries and get the gas and the other things that we need. In fact, if I were to survey all, all of the folks in here uh, and ask just the simple question, why do you work each day? I would be surprised if I did not get as many different answers as there are people in the room. We work to support our families. We work to support the church. But we fail to see that our ministry is, is a means that God has given to us to glorify him and to serve him. We've created, as I mentioned, this false dichotomy. And one that uh, on this Reformation Day, I'll refer to, to Martin Luther, one that Luther spoke about way back in the 1500s. When he writes, the idea that service to God should have only to do with a church altar, singing, reading, sacrifice, and the like, is without doubt the, but the worst trick of the devil. How could the devil have led us more effectively astray than by the narrow conception that service to God takes place only in church and by works done therein? The whole world could abound with services to the Lord, not only in churches, but also in the home, the kitchen, the workshop, the field. My prayer today is that together we can begin to understand this whole concept of work and faith. And, and I just want to remind us, too, that I'm not just speaking to those who are working, but also to those who are retired or to those who are raising families. Uh, in the early 1990s, when I was in my very first church, I invited one of my professors, Dr. Will Norton, to come and speak to my, my aging congregation at that time. And he came and uh, he said, started off his message by, listen, I am 88 years old and I don't have time to retire. The Lord has too much work for me to do. Dr. Norton lived to be 102. And from what I understand, in his final days in the nursing home, he was still teaching Bible studies to the people within the, that, that nursing home. He saw his life as the work that the Lord had given him to do. And I pray that we can begin to see the same. As we examine our passages that we looked at today, we'll see that we can work and serve for God's glory by applying the teachings that are found in the creation and the fall. And so again, if you will look back at Genesis chapter 2 with me, we're going to look at a few passages. But first I want us to, to look at and to see the purpose of man. Again, look at verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet spring up, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land, and, and there was no man to work the ground. Now think about that passage for just a minute. It's a painting an interesting picture for us. God had created everything, and as we read in chapter 1, he created it all and said that it was all good. But note here in this verse, he created all this creation, it all sprung up, it was producing good, and yet we read, there was no man to work the ground. Keep in mind, in chapter 2, we look, we see, find this in verse 5. It's not until verse 7 that man is actually created. So there's first this purpose created for man, this purpose for man to have. And then in verse 7, we read, then... 
the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. There was a purpose, a reason for the man being created. That was to, to work or to serve, to serve. The Hebrew word used here throughout this chapter is abad, which, which means to work or to serve and is used in the Old Testament uh, over 200 different times and is used either for work like labors or service as in service to the Lord. It's used both ways. And what we find as we look at this verse is, is an example of going back to the Westminster Catechism, the Westminster Divines, uh, and the Westminster Shorter Catechism, first in question three, where we read, what do the Scriptures principally teach? The Scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty requires of man. Then back up a little bit, a couple questions to question one. What is man's chief end? Well, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We see in those, those references there, this passage, this scripture being taught to us that our purpose, the scriptures teach us that we have a purpose, that purpose which God created us for, to be the abad, the servants, the servers for him, where we are, to serve God and to, and to worship and to serve God and to work, to abad. Tom, uh, I'm sorry, William Perkins writes, Man's particular calling was to come into the Garden of Eden, to keep it, and to dress the trees and the fruits thereof. This shows unto us a good lesson that every man must have a particular calling wherein he ought to walk. And a question for you is, what is your calling? Well, first and foremost, we all know and we all agree that our calling is to come unto the Lord. He has called us to him, and so we are his. But then there's that secondary calling. What is that secondary calling of ours? It is to serve the Lord. It is to chabad, abad for the Lord, to work for the Lord. Now, where it is that we do that is different for each one of us because it is where God has placed us. It raises a natural question for us, and that is, what does it look like to abad, to work for the Lord? When we look through scriptures, we find much of the scripture teaches us how to, we're, we're to serve the Lord, how we're to worship God. We find lots of passages on how to wor worship God, but we find very few that are clear on how we're to abide in a sense of work for the Lord. When we look at this passage again, we see in verse 5 the purpose that we are to serve. Verse 15, though, of the passage of chapter 2 gives us the, the how. Look at verse 15. So the Lord took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. The Lord took the man, put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. And we find there man is given the instruction or the purpose to do two things, to abad and to shamar. Abad, to work or to serve. Shamar, to keep or protect. So how did Adam work for God? And how are we to work for the Lord? Well, Adam <clears throat> was meant to work the field in the field, the place where he was placed. God did the growing. We see that in the Acts of Creation. It's stated in verse 9. God put him in the garden and he grew everything and all the plants and the trees that were good to eat. God did that work. Man was then there put put there to tend it, to care for it. 
to work it and to protect it. And I find it interesting to note that it wasn't until uh, a few verses later, I wasn't actually until verse 18. After man had been put in the garden to abide and to shamar, then God realizes, wait a minute, it's good that man doesn't, isn't alone in this process. I will give him a helper. A helper to do what? Oftentimes we see that and we think that's in relation to our interpersonal relationships. That's part of it. But the woman was put there to help to, to abide and to shamar, to help in the keeping in the tending, in the protecting. Man was to serve God by his working of the creation, by the tilling, the pruning, the harvesting. It was a joyful and blessed time such that he was rewarded with the fruit of any tree within the garden except that one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God was saying to him and says to us, serve faithfully and I will provide. But Adam was also to protect and to keep what he works with. In chapter 1, we read uh, in the creation mandate, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now this dominion or, or rule was, was not the conquer but to use, as we see in our passage here, to serve and to keep. To steward, as I was talking earlier, to steward over, to, to care for. <clears throat> our dominion is seeing how we serve and care for the work that God has given us. Not how we use it to dominate and to rule, but how we use it to serve, to glorify. Because remember, what is our chief end? According to the Westminster Defines, what is our purpose? Our purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And how do we do that? <clears throat> we do that by Abad and Shamar, by serving and keeping what God has given us and where God has placed us. Now, man sadly, can never leave well enough alone. And so we find then a curse uh, on man or the curse on life in chapter 3 where it didn't take man long to mess things up. We read, read that the servant, serpent tempts Eve. She succumbs and then shares the fruit with Adam and they fall. They had one job with one rule and they failed. The Lord said, you can eat from any tree, but imagine this. It's apple picking time. Uh, maybe it's toward the end of it. But if you go to the apple farm and you've got one pear tree that's a special pear tree to the family, and they say, you can have any apples you want. Please just don't pick from the, the pear tree. And if you pick from the pear tree, I'm going to boot you out of here. And that's what happens with Adam. They had all the other fruit to choose from, all the other trees to choose from. Everything was good. Everything was pleasant. Everything was a blessing because they did nothing but just keep it and care for it. God grew it and provided it. And yet they ate from the one they shouldn't. Adam, the worker, the servant of the Lord, the keeper of the garden, at the, uh, ate the, the only piece of fruit that was meant for God and God alone. Now, the purpose of, of this message is not to look at the curses of the fall. That's certainly another message. But I, I do want us to spend just a few minutes talking about this curse to Adam, 
When God speaks to Adam, he speaks to his servant keeper of the garden, to the one he created for his glory. And he gives them these, these words of, of, of curse that sometimes we read and we, we take and say, okay, this is why we're working. We apply this curse and say, this is what work is, that work is the curse. And I want to submit to you that work is not the curse. Work is actually a blessed provision of the Lord. It's the nature of work that is cursed. And let's look at the passage again in verse 17 of chapter 3. And he said to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to the dust you shall return. Three things to notice out of this curse. First, because you have listened to the voice. Here lies the problem that we all wrestle with. That voice of sin, that voice of evil that is tempting us and calling us to do or listen and and be other things. Some of you may remember ESPN's Monday Night Football uh, in the past had a segment called, Come on, man. And in which they would show some play from a previous game and, and, and the announcer would say, you only had one job and you blew it. Come on, man. This would have made that segment of Monday Night Football. Adam had only one job, one rule. And yet we read, because you listened to the voice. Come on, man. Second look, cursed is the ground because of you. Note quickly that the workplace is cursed because of Adam, not the work itself. It wasn't the task that was cursed by God. It was the place, the the environment that was cursed. The place of work becomes a barrier between God and the service of man. I mean, service of God, man and the service of God. I see this each and every day, and and many of you may have heard this at different times. There's not a pastor that hasn't heard this at one time or another where he's talking with somebody about their involvement in the church and almost inevitably. Well, pastor, Sunday's the only day I have where I don't have anything else to do. It's my day to get everything done. Or I can't come to worship on Sunday or I can't come to this event on Wednesday or whatever night because I have to work. Work oftentimes now has become the barrier between us being able to worship and serve God and our growth in God because uh, of this curse. Thirdly, we see by the sweat of your face until you return to the ground. And again, the curse is the nature of the work, not the work itself. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. I tell folks uh, and have told my kids, find that, try to find that job which you love doing. Uh, and it will be a joy. And it's a partial truth. Those of us who have those jobs that we love doing, we know that they are a joy comparatively, 
you know, we enjoy do them. I, I enjoy my current position far more than many past positions, but because the stresses are different. The, the pressures are different. And I'm not feeling the pains and the pangs that I've felt before. It's not the work, again, that was cursed. It's, it's the, the nature of it. The blessed God gave the, the work, the blessing that God gave man is now difficult and, and will be for the entirety of our lives. Even when we retire, most of us find out in our retirement it's really more difficult sometimes to be retired than it is to be working. I remember my parents telling me after when my dad retired and, and mom had long since stopped working that they were busier in their retirement than they ever were in their work life. And they were traveling more and the stresses were more and they were, they were different stresses, yes. But they were still there even in their retirement, even in the place they were in the final days of life. It was difficult. And that's the curse of life that we all have to deal with because of Adam and Eve eating that fruit, of Adam listening to that voice. That even until the day we die, we will be sweating to get through our daily life. We will be laboring to do the labor that God has given us to do. We never cease to serve and to keep. Our work just changes places. Today you may be an electrician or a teacher or a carpenter. And one day when you retire, you still will be at work. You'll just be in a different place. You may be cleaning your house. You may be working the yard. You may be taking care of neighbors or friends, as I heard expressed earlier. But you will be laboring for the glory of the Lord. John Calvin, writing about this curse in his commentary, writes, In this place it stands in antithesis with the pleasant labor in which Adam previously so employed himself, that in a sense he might be said to play, for he, is, he was not formed for idleness but for action. Therefore the Lord placed him over a garden which was to be cultivated. But whereas in that labor there had been sweet delight, now servile work is enjoined upon him as if we were condemned to the mines. The curse has done that to us. Taken the blessedness of work, the privilege of work, and made it a, a hardship for us. Such that, as Calvin points out, that it would seem as though we've been condemned to the mines, to the hardest of jobs that could be found. So, <clears throat> how can we apply all of this? <clears throat> First, recognize that you are called by God to be where he has placed you. I know folks that are constantly saying, where's the Lord got me? I remember one of the wisest words given to me when I was in Kingston uh, back in the early 2000s was from Duncan Rankin, who was in Oak Ridge at that time. And I was wrestling with my calling. I was wrestling with where I should be. And he said, David, were you called to Kingston? And I, I said, yes. He said, was anybody else called to Kingston to be the pastor? I said, no, just me. And he said, well, you know where you were called. Just live out your call. God's placed you there for a reason and live that out. Realize that in your own life, that God has placed you where you are right now at this time 
for a reason. In his providence, he's brought us all together today to worship together. And that's a blessing in itself. But each and every day, you've been blessed to live, to work, to labor, to abad and shamar in the very place where you are. Are you a teacher? Then teach for the glory of God. Are you a carpenter, electrician, plumber, store owner, grocery bagger, whatever it may be, do so for the glory of God. Use the rest of your life for the glory of God. For those of you who are still in in the workforce, don't work to provide for yourself and your family. Work to glorify God. He promises that he will provide for us. So trust him in that. Remember, as long as Adam was working faithfully in that garden, as long as he did what he was placed to do and didn't eat from that one tree, remember the one rule, as long as he didn't violate that one rule, Adam was totally provided for and cared for. It was a blessing where he was. And if we serve to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, we will find that our work is a blessing to us also, as well as those around us. Thirdly, don't blame God for the difficulties at work. They come with the territory. So instead, look for the graces and the glory you see. Look for the little things in the lives of the people you're working with. The heartbeat of the baby. The, the joy of the expectant parents. The student that finally the light goes on and they catch, the, they catch what you've been trying to teach them all along. The finished product as it rolls out of your shop. The job well done. Fourth, how can you as a church be helping? Well, one of the things we can do in the church is to pray for those who are working. But pray specifically. Maybe the church should consider having one day a prayer emphasis on all of those who are working in the medical field. Another week, maybe emphasize those who are in education or those who are in retail. You know, especially if we've got uh, Black Friday coming up in less than a month now. Uh, Big retail time. Any of you who've worked retail during the Christmas season, you know that it can be very stressful. Dealing with people is horrendous. It's like herding cats, especially on that day. Don't be the one opening the door. Stay back and tell them you'll stock shelves or do something else. But we need to pray for those folks because it's a hard period and a hard time in their life. About praying for our farmers. As harvest comes or as the time to till the earth to prepare it for the next year or to bring in the grass for the cattle and to, to make sure that the cattle are fed and all those things. There's a lot of stress there too. The market's fluctuating and what they can and can't get can often stress the families. Many are living paycheck to paycheck if they're getting paychecks. We as the church can be praying for our working people, but also praying for our seniors, our retired folks. Because it's tough being alone. It's tough either being the caregiver or being cared for. It's tough trying to cook for one or two when you've cooked for six or eight your entire life. All of those things may seem like little stresses, little things, 
but they're big and important to the people that have to deal with them. For those of you who are retired, something you can do, you can not stop serving and keeping when you reach a certain age. Like Dr. Norton, tell yourself, I don't have time to be retired. I've got too much that the Lord wants me to do. He's not calling you all to be missionaries on the mission field or you'd already be there. He may be calling a few of you to go, maybe short term. But he's called all of you to be where you are at this moment. And your mission field is right outside your door. In fact, for all of us, the world has come to us. You no longer have to go to China to reach out to the Chinese. You no longer have to go to Guatemala to reach out to the Guatemalans. You no longer have to go to the Soviet Union in order to reach out to the Russians or the Ukrainians. They're here in your neighborhood right now. So see where God has placed you and allow him to use you there. Use your time and your freedom of schedule to serve the church, the neighborhood, your family, local schools, uh, the local uh, needs. Uh, I saw the, the SMARM, is that what it's called? Smoky Mountain Area Rescue Mission. Uh, you know, there's a place of service. Uh, the hospitals always needing volunteers. Lots of ways that you can serve for the glory of Christ. And I just want to remind you real quick, remind us all, that the whole concept of retirement is not found anywhere in Scripture. Moses was over 80 when he began his ministry. David didn't retire until he passed. Solomon didn't retire until he passed. The apostles didn't retire until they passed, with the exception of John, who was exiled and couldn't, couldn't go anywhere else. In his exile, he eventually died, but he didn't go there voluntarily. He was placed there. The concept is not found in Scripture. God placed us for a purpose, that is to abad and shamar, to serve and to keep. Finally, in closing, remember Jesus' words to us all. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you're not a child of the king, if you're not a child of the king of glory, you cannot serve or worship him. So I call you to come. That is that you can do nothing apart from him. Come to him. If you're not a child of the Creator, God, you can do nothing for His glory, and all of your work and your labors will be tough. They will be unrewarding, and when all is said and done, they will die with you with very little, if nothing, to show. But in Christ, the promise is for life with Him for in eternity. For eternity. In the mansion that He will build. In the blessed new Eden, the new kingdom, the new glory that he has created, where we will be with him, and all will be provided for us, and all will be a blessing because we were faithful to Abad and Shamar as we lived to his glory each and every day. I pray that you come either to praise the Lord 
or to come unto salvation. For we're reminded by the Apostle Paul that in that final day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some will be confessing out of fear because they've known, they, they know they've waited too long. And then others will, will be confessing in praise because the Savior has come and said, Come to me, you who are weak and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Let us come to him now. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would be with us and that you would be glorified in us now. We thank you for your word. Apply it to our hearts. If there's anyone present here today who does not know you, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. And Father, for those of us who do, I pray, O Lord, that you would just empower us as we seek to serve you and to protect uh, your glory and your will and your work here on earth. That we would keep the glory of the Lord ever before us. And Father, that your name would go forth with boldness. Father, send us forth in your grace, your strength, and your mercy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.